Welcome, 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 welcome to our show. You're listening to the Sunspots Comics podcast, issue number 27. I'm your humble host, Chris Latore, and I hope all is well with you. And if you like reading paper comic books, you're not sure what to get, well, congratulations. You found the right place. I basically read a bunch of comic books, talk about a bunch of comic books, recommend comic books. I read a whole ton. Spoiler alert now, get it out of the way. And it's just a lot of fun overall. This week, I've got a Spider-Sense's Tinkling story. I have some comic book feel-good factoid freebies. I have 15 comics that I read, seven that I picked as my top favorite top picks of the week for New Comic Book Day, November 4th. So let's jump right into it. Actually, article number one, we're going to jump into the feel-good factoid freebies. I've got three of them, and... The first one comes from the Seattle Times, announcing that Amazon.com is opening its first real bookstore at U-Village. I thought, this is cool. I think that the numbers are, they don't lie. Paper's on the rise, it's back on the rise, it's dramatically increasing year after year, and this just shows proof of it, that Amazon's jumping back into the mix with all the Barnes and Nobles just closing and closing and closing. Um, Strange that it seems like they're hitting the market at the right time. And probably with the novelty of, hey, we're an actual brick-and-mortar store, but we're selling at our prices, which are ridiculously low, I think it's going to draw some some cheeks in the seats, <laughs> some people, some onlookers, some people to walk in there and buy some stuff. So I'm pretty excited about it. And there's some pictures of what it looks like in the interior, a whole lot of comic books in there. So I'm pretty excited. I hope when it comes to Los Angeles, I would definitely visit it and check it out, see what it's all about. So that's the first one. Second one is from thespycommand.com, and it just uh, gives a happy birthday. Shout out to Mr. Steve Ditko. He was born on November 2nd. He'd be 88. He is 88 years old. He's still alive. And in an era where, I mean, comic books are what they are, and the movies are what they are, and they're billion-dollar franchises, insane, he is one of those godfathers, grandfathers, grand uncles that started it all we have to pay homage to him if you look at from the mid 60s we're starting off in like tales to astonish and his early cover work in amazing spider-man i mean so iconic so gorgeous and you have to pay respect to the man steve ditko steve ditko happy birthday and the next the third and final feel good factoid freebie is from forbes.com and it highlights a novel coming out uh, titled Will Eisner, Champion of the Graphic Novel from Paul Levitz and introduction by Brad Meltzer. And they're a award-winning New York Times award, uh, you know, Times bestseller list uh, powerhouse, the two of them. And they really go back here from starting in the 30s, breaking down Eisner's early work with his partner Jerry Iger and how he launched the studio that launched everything in the realm of comics. And this is coming out uh, January 16th. I already see you can pre-order it on Amazon. So I'm in on this. Uh, And it... It's, it's giant. It looks like it's going to be over 200 pages, and there will be plenty of illustrations in this as well, but it is ultimately a novel on Will Eisner and some of his impact, and they, ta- they title him The Champion of the Graphic Novel, and it has a very Eric Powell-esque cover to it. So I'm in. Looking forward to that. I You have to pay homage to the originators, and he's definitely one of them. I mean, his work uh, from the spirit to everything else has just just paved the way for comics as as they are today. So, Will Eisner, pretty awesome. 
So those are the three feel-good fat belly freebies. Hope you enjoyed those. Some quick ones. What was that? That's my spider sense tingling. So this uh, spider sense tingling article comes from the Huffington Post. It's only one uh, one spider sense tingling story this week. But it's a biggie uh, titled, Scientists May Have Discovered Alternate Universes. The world as we know it may actually just be a region within an internally inflating super region. Pretty crazy. And this article highlights here that the team of Ranga Ram, these names, I'm so sorry, Ranga Ram Cherry uh, works in the data center of uh, USC and works with other universities uh, and cosmo, cosmologists, cosmetologists, cosmologists <laughs> that are studying that the this bubble collision effect of the universe that may actually change the density of protons and th- with that their observations could that there, there could be actually giant voids uh, in the cosmic universe and with that in those bubbly voids there's a lot of side tech here there could be alternate universes they have worked with probability and they even say that there is more than likely a better than 30 percent chance at this point that there could be alternate universes out there and more money and more study will be put into this so very kind of interesting maybe there's 52 universes or who knows maybe there's 616 different i mean who knows the speculation goes on and on but that article definitely caught my eye and made my spider sense tingle and i'll take a moment right here in the middle of the show to also please Check us out and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Sunspots Comics. Very much appreciate it. And if you're enjoying the podcast that you're listening to and your ear holes are satisfied, please go over to iTunes and give me a five-star review and write a little blurb, a little positive feedback there, a little note, a little nugget of happiness if you feel I deserve it. So please check us out and also our website, sunspotscomics.com and zombiedestroyers.com. So with that out of the way, we're gonna I'm going to jump right into it this week, into my favorite little part of the show. Again, spoiler alert, I did read 15 comic books for New Comic Book Day on November 4th, and seven of them were not just good, but great. You should go out and spend money on these seven that I'm about to go over. And I have to highlight that uh, this week there were seven number ones, which is insane, of the 15. And a good portion of them made it to the top seven. So, and they were so good. There was so much fun. It was such a mixed bag of genres and it was a little all over the place, which is just pretty much how my brain is. So I really, really enjoyed it. So check out sunspots.com slash pull list to see what I'm actually currently reading, what's on the list for this week and next, next week and previous weeks, all the way back to like May. So if you want to see the work that I recommend, the, the comic books that I recommend, please just go there to sunspots.com and click on pull list. So jumping right into it. Number seven from Marvel Comics, Doctor Strange number two. And this is the, for me, the art winner. Um, which was a fantastic work done by Chris Bacciolo, Bacciolo, however you pronounce it. Writer Jason Aaron, fantastic. I have to mention the inks because they pair so well well here with, with Bacciolo's work. He's a hard person to ink, I would imagine, because of so many intricate pieces of his art. Tim Townsend, Al Vey, and Mark Irwin. He needs three people to do the inks. That's when you know you have an artist supreme. But this jumps right into where he's helping this librarian who has some sort of psychic parasites attached to her body. 
and this comic overall was just a whole mess of weird and that's why I really enjoyed it it was just all over the place he ultimately is trying to loosely find a way to cure this librarian of these strange spiritual parasites that are attached to her, her body and spirit that only he can see that he feels eventually will destroy her in where he gets lost in his own house He's just taking left turn after right turn from ghouls and specters and strange monsters to Beetlejuice looking long tentacle things that are crazy. It's just a it's just a cornucopia of craziness that's going on here. So I tell you, it's a whole lot of fun as I close my window. <laughs> Dog barking very loudly outside. Anyway, so the color palette, the the, the intricateness of his art, you have to seriously look at each panel over and over again constantly because there's just a whole lot going on. At one point, the librarian opens a door and it's like these crazy zombie monkeys all just start heading towards the door that she just opens. And <laughs> they, they are chasing her saying, meat, meat for eating. It's let's eat its face and eyes. And it's like, okay, sorry, close that door. So they, they just take a stroll through the home, and it's quite an interesting home that they go through. You do meet uh, Wong, who's cooking some sort of multi-eyed alien being in a frying pan, which is so full of color and gross-looking at the same time. It just really works. But I'm in on this. I, I wouldn't say I normally am a big fan of Doctor Strange, but with the art team, with uh, the writer on this, I am in. They're really doing some unique stuff, and it's uh, what I'm, what I'm, what I have a flavor for right now. Which uh, makes sense when you look at Citizen. Just the next one, uh, my number six pick is Citizen Jack, uh, number one from Image Comics, from Sam Humphreys writing, Tom Patterson on art and colorist John Aldernick. And this art style here is, for me, very reminiscent of, oh gosh, there's a few artists that immediately jump into my mind, but even has a McFarlane-esque feel to it. So this is a strange, twisted story of a, not a very likable character that is being told by a demon to run for president. So he's not liked in his town, he just, wanders around town in a pink robe he owns like a like a snowplow business where he just does not make a lot of friends in town he's carrying like a gigantic 357 as he's on a snowblower with his like bottle of jack daniels he's going down the street so it's just not this very liked character and that was maybe a, an issue i had first going in i'm like wow i just don't like this guy and where are they going with this but they and I still at, at the end of this uh, the, you don't necessarily really like him, but it's this twisted story of a very unlikely character that has decided to listen to this demon and run for president. And this demon even marks him, brands him on his chest, which I thought was an interesting twist there, and like tells him let's let's get this thing started. So it's a strange introduction to a strange, unlikable character, and yet he's told by this demon he needs to run for president. So strange enough to, seems like we're on the strange vibe here, but that's uh, why it made, and the art style, very 90s reminiscent, and it uh, gave me, it filled me full of nostalgia, especially in the realm of, say, an artist master like Todd McFarlane. So good job on the art there, Tom Patterson. 
And the number five pick of the week was a number one also. And it's uh, from from Image Comics, Monstrous, number one. Written by Marjorie Liu and art by Sena Takeda. And this is an epic, sweeping comic. I, I was It was neat to see that it was probably 60 or so pages for five bucks. So a value, which feels like, like a trade paperback almost. No advertisements. Um, and it's very anime-like, but it's sort of a Lord of the Rings world where humans are witches and every other sort of being is kind of anthropomorphic and is either sort of a hybrid of strange creatures mixed with humanoid-like looks. And ultimately, the witches are the gladiator owners, if you will. And they are gathering all these other species for some brutal laboratory testing, Frankenstein-like testing, where they're taking live subjects, even live children, and, yeah, they're they're taking body parts and experimenting with them. Like they take a kid, a cyclops kid, cut his head off and do some strange electricity experiments to it. They cut limbs off of prisoners. And it's the story of this woman, a young woman, who you feel is very innocent and is a slave, and she's being brought to Frankenstein's lair, if you will. And come to find out she has a motive she was as they do a flashback she was she wanted to be captured on purpose she has an agenda it looks like she's there to to stop the this evil frankenstein family from experimenting on all these these innocent um you know half breeds of 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 aliens and humanoid like figures and so you, it, it's a revel, revelation here that she's not so innocent, she's not so frail, but they paint that picture of her at first, and she's actually a rather strong character that is really making her stand against this white-haired woman that seems to be the the patriarch of this family. And this isn't, it doesn't say if it's going to be a miniseries. I mean, it looks like this could, this is actually leading up to a big fight between the innocent character and the slave owner slash jailer. So, are they going to wrap this up quickly? Is it a miniseries? It, it did not say, and I could find very limited information on to the, what this series has in store for us. But monstrous, I'm on board. The art is gorgeous, very finished, very polished, very intricate, very detailed. The color palette is very dark, but there are aspects of just red and blue that they splash on here. There's a strange, like, sort of minotaur, multi-eyed giant creature that they are having a flashback sort of vision of. And interesting to see if we see some of those giant creatures in this world. And there's a crazy artifact that she sort of finds towards the end, and where is that going to take her, and how will that help her free the slaves? So that is the number five. And number four this week was another number one, Drax, number one from Marvel Comics, written by CM Punk. Who, you know, we've been hearing that CM Punk was going to be writing some Marvel work. I think this is the first of it. He co-writes with Colin Bunn, who I'm, I'm very much a fan of from his work on Harrow County. So this was just a, a, just a fun romp. Just I've, I've really been feeling the flavor of Guardians of the Galaxy. So if you can't get enough of Guardians of the Galaxy right now, and you just want to fill your life with more Guardians of the Galaxy, because you can't wait for the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 movie to come out, whenever that is, a year from now, two years from now, 
I do recommend purchasing this. Drax number one was a fun sci-fi romp in the humorous tone of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. So CM Punk definitely rides that. You first get an introduction to, wait a minute, there's a girl Star-Lord and the thing is on the Guardians of the Galaxy from the Fantastic Four. Groot has, looks completely different. Yep, hats off to this artist. They just make Groot look strange. And I think Groot has, like, hair. Like, it looks like a girl version of Groot, possibly. So, I know Battle World and Secret Wars, I don't know what that was all about. But luckily, it's a quick little splash as they're fighting some strange-looking Venom spider monsters. And Drax is just there to, to hollow out rib cages and rip things apart. And after that little moment is done, where they have kind of a Guardians of the Galaxy sort of fight that is not explained, just a whole lot of fun and slashing and schlocklopping, then they're all like, okay, what do we do now? Well, they're all, the rest of the team's like, well, we got stuff to do. And Drax is like, uh, okay, I guess I'll go back to killing Thanos. <laughs> so there's humor written in it. It's the, the comedic timing is done very well. And so then he is given this just piece of crap ship from Rocket, which he calls the Space Sucker. <laughs> Strange. And it's... It's, it couldn't be a worse-looking spaceship, and Drax jumps in the thing, and crash lands on a planet, and it's it, there's not a whole lot of dialogue in it. It's very lightly written. They even he, he, while he's in space, he runs across this team that maybe is kind of space pirates that want to steal his ship, but they take a look at his ship and they're like, "No, it's worthless. Move on." <laughs> but Drax is like ready to take them on and. Says, like, run for me, it's the only way to survive. And they're just out of there because his ship is worthless. So just just smart comedic timing and fun. And the, the it's very Mar. It looks like he's on Mars. It's just a whole lot of red in this. But very just well-drawn sci-fi action. And it's just fun. It's worth the money. And it's quick and an easy read. And I'm in. Added to the pull list. Way to go. Tracks number one. And now we're into the top three. So number three is from Marvel Comics, number 11, Star Wars, number 11, from the team of Jason Aaron, the writer, Stuart Eminen, who I hope draws Star Wars until he's 150 and no longer can draw, because he, his drawing is phenomenal. It's just so iconic. It's just beautiful. The attention to detail, you can tell that he loves Star Wars, because you can't draw Star Wars like this without loving it. He he pays such respect to the primary iconic characters, Han Solo, Luke, Chewbacca, this, I think his name is Brachus the Hutt, cousin of Jabba, but even to the intricate details of how he draws lightsabers, I, I tell you, he pays such respect to the look and the color palette, he just grabs the entire feel from the from the lens flaring to the flashes that 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 from the crowd. It all just has that feel. Um, this is just where Luke is on this planet in a gladiator pit, and he's finally getting ready to throw down. And they filled the gladiator pit because they've sold it as "Come see the final Jedi die." And we flash though over to Chewbacca, who is about to tussle it up with a bounty hunter because he's on his way to help Luke but he stumbles across this bounty hunter that puts a restraining bolt on Chewbacca and just electrifies him and who comes and saves the day initially? C-3PO I thought, boy, that's interesting he takes that restraining bolt away from Chewbacca so he can fight and electrifies himself 
And I thought, wow, that's an interesting little moment of Chewbacca being brave, or uh, C-3PO being brave. That's a little unique writing, say a twist. Haven't seen maybe a whole lot of that, but a unique take, and it's believable. So I, I, I bought it. I was into it because he just grabs the restraining bolt, and then Chewbacca and him and this bounty hunter just go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And he's one you've seen before. I want to say that I remember seeing this bounty hunter in Empire Strikes Back, that moment where you just sort of see a bunch of feet and the Imperial, um, like, sergeants or Imperial workers are looking up at bounty hunter feet and then looking feet and looking up at the bounty hunters. He's one of those guys that was there, and his name escapes me because I'm horrible with names, but... Yeah, him and Chewbacca go toe to toe. Then we go over to the to the uh, gladiator pit where they send out Congo the disemboweler to take on Luke Skywalker, and it's a mix of that. Uh, oh, that it's a mix of a lot of giant creatures that Luke has fought, I'm sure, or that's in the Star Wars universe. And it, this is like half robotic, and it's even sort of lightsaber proof. So yeah, he's he's got his hands full there. Then we pop back over to Han trying to convince Leia that he's not married. That it was part of a, a, a scheme that they had. A, you know, one of his harebrained smuggling schemes that he planned up. A wedding as a distraction for something. And he's trying to explain that to Leia. And she's like, whatever. He's sitting there talking to her, which he thinks it's her, in this other room. And she's not even in that room. So <laughs> their problem is not resolved. And Chewbacca's about to go down. And, hey, Luke and Leia finally pop in the scene there. And... Just shoot the guy in the back, because that's what Han does. He shot first. That's right. <laughs> but that's uh, Star Wars number 11. Loving every issue of it. Add it to your poll. Keep it going. They have all been good. I, I mean, consistent. I haven't really seen an issue that I've, I've had to say, oh, that's just that fell right off, and maybe I should take this off the poll. No. Star Wars has been consistently solid. So pick that up. That's my number three. And my number two is a number one. Boy, my number two and one are number ones. My number two pick of the week is Claws. Number one. The Story of Santa from Boom Comics, written by the infamous Grant Morrison. And look up Grant Morrison. You're, if you see his name on a comic, you just have to buy it. And if you Google him, you'll know exactly why. His body of work is amazing. Art by Dan Mora which Dan Mora's work has a very birthright-looking feel to it, and that's the initial thing I thought of when I looked right at it. But what a twisted little tale of Christmas. I tell you, I'm completely ready. I'm a big fan of Christmas. I'm excited. I can't wait. And this is like this otherworld tale of Santa Claus as like this woodsman in a, um, I guess, sort of Lord of the Rings-like world. And he stumbles, he's just like this drifter, and very muscular drifter, who has a wolf companion, very dire wolf, very large, well, I guess just a normal sized wolf. Um, in my mind, I wanted it to be a dire wolf, I guess. But um, he stumbles across this town that seems to be run by the Scrooge family, like Mr. and Mrs. Scrooge, and, and maybe their child, Ebenezer. I don't know, they're this horrible family that believes that their town... Uh, should be run with an iron fist and children shouldn't have toys. There was a kid playing with a rock at one point and the local policeman in this town, which is, you know, this is set, seems like in the dark ages, tells the kid he can't play with a rock. This is just how, how, how filled with joy this town is. <laughs> and so he stumbles across this 
very Sylvester Stallone Rambo-esque wanders into this little town just looking for shelter because it's winter. They want nothing to do with Mr. Claus. And they quickly have a tussle. They He's just in a bar trying to have a... Uh, you know, stay warm for a moment, and yeah, the, the local police, magistrate, whatever you want to call it, authorities, just want to toss out the wanderer, the local guy that's just, that they're the guy that's wandered into their little town. And so he has a little fight, little blows, a couple of blows there, and fisticuffs ensues. The wolf has to come in and jump in and uh, kind of save the day as they plunge a couple of arrows into claws. And then you're introduced into this... This Grinch family, this uh, Scrooge family, where they they reference Yuletide as they must they must discontinue Yuletide, and they have this spoiled brat son who they don't I don't his name is in here I'm sure who I'm just gonna call Ebenezer young Ebenezer Scrooge like prequel to the rise of Ebenezer, who's like not happy with his toys that this town slaved over making him like a miniature little village and he's just destroying it doing the mommy mommy thing being this spoiled little brat. And you're like, okay, you want these guys, uh, you want Mr. Claus to stab and twist them. And then you go to Claus out hunting a giant elk, just just out there with a with a with a knife, hunting elk with his wolf companion, and like a two-page spread of this, just beautifully drawn. It's actually drawn in an orange-red-like tone, which looks like the the woods are on fire, but it's a, a wintry two-page spread. Of him fighting this gorgeous like elk deer, just beautifully drawn. I have to say the 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 sort of it is very realistically drawn. So the realism in the face and the emotion done well. Then in this fever dream slash it's a late night slash he's playing a, a flute a musical thing and he sees a vision of these like four blue aliens and then this thing takes a psychedelically trippy turn you go from this Jackson Pollock two-page spread of all these crazy rainbow colors where he's in some kind of crazy fever dream is he dreaming it not sure he's starting to take his knife and build things with wood and he wakes up to see that he built like 150 toys overnight in this crazy fever dream and he starts putting them in his red bag and like what am I supposed to do now so it's it's all over the place it's strange but it's fun and it's a twisted look at Santa Claus and I'm in I'm all in I drank the Kool-Aid on this one Grant Morrison and Dan Mora Claus number one it's my number two I mean again number one and two were like just could have been tied. They're, they're both so good. My number one pick of the week for New Comic Book Day, November 4th, from Vertigo Comics, Unfollow, number one. And the team on this is Williams. Here we go. Writer Rob Williams. Artist Mike Dowding, which he has a very, a very hyper-realistic look to his art. The coloring palette... I have to say, who Quentin Winter did a fantastic job keeping the color palette very light, very light blue tones and beige, and it it gives it sort of a unique look and feel. He does a lot of great work with shadows in this as well to really give it a realistic look. But in a nutshell, Mr. Williams' story here is very, very reminiscent of Ready Player One. Look that up, audiobook. Listen to the audiobook of Ready Player One. Check out the actual book of it. 
and especially the audiobook, audiobook, which is read by Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. So check that out. Probably my favorite audiobook of all time. But it's reminiscent of that story because this is a Steve Jobs-like billionaire who takes his $17 billion and picks 140 people randomly to give his entire fortune to. So I could, you could tell right off the bat the premise was interesting. I thought, okay, it's a social experiment. It's a little different uh, that maybe I haven't seen in comic books in a while. Set in a very real-world-like setting. And the first few pages sets the stage of this story and this premise not being so cut and dry as you may think as to where it's going, whereas the Steve Jobs-like billionaire hires a, a hitman, bodyguard if you will, that's wearing like a crazy Mayan headdress mask with this gigantic red beard, chasing after like a programmer that's apologizing, saying that he made himself one of the 140 to help his son and he, he chases this man to the end of a cliff, and he sort of jumps off. He, The bodyguard was going to shoot at him, but he just kind of kicks himself off the ledge. So you're like, wow, what kind of crazy organization does this Steve Jobs-like billionaire have in place here? And that's just the splash of it. That's even before you're introduced to what his plan is of giving his multiple fortunes over to 140 people. Then you're, then it's like a character introduction piece. So it has like a lot of different flavors to it. The first character you meet is kind of a, a, a two-time crook, a low, low-level crook, robbing a, like a Verizon wireless basically, um, because they're threatening to beat up his sister if he doesn't help them with this robbery. And all the phones start ringing in this Verizon wireless basically, this cell phone store, telling David, that's the main character, that he is one of the 140 chosen. And then he has a vision of like a panther walking up and talking to him. So is he having a vision? Is he a drug addict? Why is there a panther speaking to him? I thought, okay, that's strange. That I, I, I kind of want to see where that's going. Telling him The, the panther's telling him he needs to be a, lead, a leader. It's a leopard. Uh, a very dark, black, drawn, spotted kind of leopard panther looking thing. And he's telling him, ditch the group, uh, ditch the sister, be a leader, and rip them all a new a-hole. Like he's getting some strange, tough love advice from, from a panther? So where is that going? Very weird and strange. And then you're introduced to another character who is a spoiled rich girl, uh, you know, she must have a trust fund, etc. Jumping out of a plane... Um, with one of those glider, flying squirrel glider outfits on, you're like, okay, she's kind of an adrenaline junkie. Well, they're telling her, hey, don't miss the landing area. We have sponsors. They're like, sponsors? Okay, what is she exactly doing? And they're giving her a hard time. When she lands, she's actually saying that she is was doing this, this media event for a, a kid that is dying of cancer. So I like how they, the writing here really had you thinking this is going to be pretty one-sided character and she's an adrenaline junkie, trust fund kid, but no, it, uh, here it is, it's cerebral palsy. So she's doing it for cerebral palsy, she's doing it for a charity, and she's also announcing that she's giving all of her father's charity or money um, to 
charities, various charities. But then she's, boom, she's announced she's one of the 140, and her agent slash whatever says, hey, no, you're still rich. And she has this very well-drawn look of disgust on her face, like, what, I'm still rich? Like, she's trying to get rid of this money. Like, it's a burden to her. Um, so interesting there. And then the last character, or the last character they introduce as one of the 140 is, um, this one really just kind of ripped at the heartstrings. And I definitely had an emotional feel from this, but she's... She's recording herself, and she's talking about how this knife she has here in her possession now um, stabbed a man who was attempting um, uh, to, like, rape a girl, and that 800 of her people have been hung um, by this regimen in her, in her area. She's Middle Eastern of some kind. She's recording herself, and she's cutting her hair off with this knife, and it looks like she's going to, to like, slit her wrists from the look of it, and then... Her phone hits. She's one of the 140. She's a multimillionaire, and she even speaks to the phone like, "Are you? Have you come to save me?" So complex character there. Very well drawn. In one page, you get a real sense of dread that this character has. So a mixed bag of just three characters, and then I have to say, and again, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Um, the very last page you're introduced to a character that does not look like he's related to the 140, but just wants to maybe take them all out. So, interesting. He packs a lot of story into just single pages in this comic, which I think was just well done. The pace of it, and how much they didn't overly cram, but just the right amount of packed information and story to, to make this very interesting. Billionaire that kind of creates Twitter, that's going to give it all to 140 random people, or are they random? Is there some sort of masterminding scheme or behind this? So I'm in. Add it to the pull list. Get all seven of these. They were fan-fun-tastic. So there it is, folks. There's the seven top picks of the week. And that's basically our show, like short and sweet. I hope you liked it. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you laughed. I hope you cried. I hope you had some fun. Maybe not cried. But the other things is good. And again, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Sunspots Comics. And please check out our website, sunspotscomics.com and zombiedestroyers.com. So talk to you all next week. Thank you so much for listening, and have a good one. And don't forget, of course... his prehistoric block of glacier ice comes the world's first superhero, Captain Caveman! Now the constant companion to the teenagers, Brenda, Dee Dee, and Taffy, in their hilarious and sometimes scary mystery missions. Get ready for Captain Caveman and the Teenagers!